Turn with me over to John chapter 10, if you will. Let me just receive tonight's offering really quickly. Um, last time I was in the pulpit, you know that I was speaking to, and I'm going to be trying to speak a little bit about this when, we, when I have the opportunity to be up here. Um, but we really want, I'm really desiring to, to gain an understanding of this concept of eternal life. I don't think eternal life it means uh, that you get to go to heaven when you die exclusively. I think it does mean that. But I have, a, I have a great suspicion as we go down through this teaching, of course, I'm further ahead in it than y'all are, but uh, I have an expectation from this that we are going to understand something radically different about our understanding of eternal life. Um, and so anyway, so as we're here in this one scripture, it just to give you an example of that. In Mark chapter 10, you know, this is when Jesus has this interaction with this guy, the rich young ruler, maybe your Bible says, or uh, an, a lawyer, or these could have been different experiences where the rich young ruler and the lawyer and this guy were different guys, but we, they may also be the same guy. In verse 17, it says, now he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so we're kind of thinking like, okay, this guy's coming to Jesus and asking him, you know, Jesus, how do I get to heaven when I die? Uh, he goes on and on about it. We've, you might have read the scripture, but I'm going to draw your attention then to verse 29 when Jesus said, Assuredly, I say unto you that no one has left house or brothers or sisters or father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake in the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers, sisters, mothers, lands, thank goodness, not wives, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so uh, he's referring here that when, you are, when we are doing our giving, uh, what he's, he's connecting our giving to uh, eternal life. Do you see that? Like that there is a, there is a, a cross-pollinating that is happening when we are doing our giving. Now, I don't necessarily, and I'm hoping that we, we're kind of early talking about this portion of it, but... When we get through this teaching and series, I think, on, on what eternal life is, you'll see that he's not saying here that I'm going to be getting to heaven when I die because I give money to the church. Mm. What he's saying is, is that there is a transformation that begins to happen inside of our lives that gives us access to eternal life. And we're going to spend a little bit of time even with it tonight. But as you are doing your giving, at least for this next season, can I encourage you to really be a seeker of this concept of eternal life with me? Really make the determination that says, because I can promise you Jesus was very much into communicating this concept of eternal life. Uh, if you spend it all, I mean, Apostle John is kind of the guy that spends the most time with this term eternal life of anybody in the New Testament. But he uses it over and over and over again and uses it referencing Jesus and what he was teaching us. How many of you say, you know, the Apostle John is a cool guy, but do you remember that of all the apostles, he was the one that they had the hardest time killing? They boiled him in oil and they did all of these kind of things and he just kept showing up for dinner after all of that happened to the place where they had to lock him up on, in a cave in, on an island somewhere just to keep him away from the population of people. And so this concept of eternal life wasn't really about, I got a revelation of eternal life, so I'm checking out right away. He says, he's talking about eternal life and eternal life that made him stay here right. even longer than would have been expected to him 
just because I'm thinking, at least I'm going to offer that to you as a suggestion, that that's because of his revelation of this thing called eternal life that wasn't exclusively you get to go to heaven when you die. And so anyways, so just keep that in your mind for now as you're give, doing your giving and as you're spending time and if you're here at all again, uh, then as you spend time in your giving, focus on that. You're gonna be one of those people that say, Lord, I really wanna understand this thing called eternal life. So anyways, let's do our confessions and I can get into the teaching. It'll make a bit more sense what I'm talking about. Uh, do we have confessions on the board? We do? Praise the Lord. Yes, as we receive today's offering, we are believing you, the Lord, for jobs and better jobs. Focus now, guys. Bonuses and benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, lost money found, debts paid off, expenses decreased, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll sure you go ahead and serve the people. But focus on that now with me as we're spending time in this that I think you could probably tell from in that scripture if you're thinking it must mean more than just I'm going to get to heaven when I die and that my relationship with God on the earth is really mostly to do with figuring out how to get to heaven when I die. And if I figured that out, I prayed a prayer, I did the thing, okay, now I'm just going to sit around and wait until I finally get to heaven. I'll see if I can endure as much hell as I can on this planet, but then good enough for me, I'm going to get to heaven when I die. I'm going to suggest to you that that is not even remotely what Jesus was talking about when he was referring to eternal life. And so let's just take a look then. I'm going to go with the pretext tonight that now is eternity, to give, it, to give the teaching a name just so we can kind of focus ourselves, that we're really looking to access the eternal realm or access eternity while we are living in our mortal bodies. I think that that's what you're going to discover, that that's what Jesus was actually talking about. Not that it doesn't include it, but that our lives, right now, our being exists in an eternal state. But because we are so familiar with everything that is in the mortal realm, we become completely captivated by things in the mortal realm. Matter of fact, even there's two laws in the physics realm. The first two laws of what they call thermodynamics, which are like the basic on the first day of science class, you learn these two physics laws. The first law says that energy can be neither created nor destroyed. The second law of thermodynamics is what's called the law of entropy, which means that everything is presently breaking down into a lower form of order. Now, it would seem to you that those are incompatible statements. One, things are never created nor destroyed. And two, everything is being destroyed. But in fact, that physics laws are referencing this it's a similar imagery to what the eternal realm is all about. Eternity can be neither taken away nor given. Everybody lives inside of eternity. 
You think about there's even when you, if, when, if we were to wander down the road, we won't do this yet, but wander down into every human being's eternity, everybody's got one. The key of it is where are you going to spend it? How is it going to work? That word eternity, it's, I stuck it on the board last time, adoniais or something like that in the Greek, is not really a word that means it lasts forever. Although it means that, but it's only half of it. The word eternal means it has always existed, or it has existed as much going backwards in time as it is going forwards in time. So we would want to think about it as, okay, when I get to heaven, I'm going to experience life where my life is never going to end. It's going to be like time means nothing to me. You know, there's no stars and there's no moon and there's no sun and so there's no darkness and there's no shadows and all of these type of things. So I'm going to be awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a million or two years. How many of you think you're going to lose track of what time is it, honey, when you're going through that process? You're going to leave a time, the, the reference of time is going to be gone in your life. How many of you say, yeah, that's kind of what I expect heaven to be like. Can I tell you something? I believe what Jesus is talking about here is living like that while we are here. That the pressure or the fear, remember that quote that I gave you last time, Shannon Alder is her name. It says, uh, fear is to begin with the end in mind. And she finishes off by saying, if there is no end, finish the equation, there is no fear. You see, what happens is when we can remove this end thing from our consciousness. Now, it's very hard to do because of this law of entropy. We see everything end. We see everything in the natural being broken down every moment of every day into a lower form of order. And so we become convinced that everything is going to break down. Eventually, nothing exists. But that's not true. We have to begin. If we're going to go through, remember we talked about the curve? If I could just put it up here again, just in case any of you by chance have forgotten, right? As you're going to go through this curve from believing in deception or misery up to the place where you're believing in truth or, or receiving blessing, if you're going to go through this curve of transformation on something, getting to the transformation in your life that your life is an eternal life, that it doesn't ever stop processing. What you're going to be doing by doing that is you're going to be getting rid of this mortal way of thinking, even though you are still in your mortal existence. When you can do that, you are accessing a divine, or the divine nature that God created you to have. As we do that and we step through by understanding that mortal and immortal, that the concepts of these two laws of thermodynamics are operating in the world simultaneously. One that everything is gonna last forever and the other that nothing will. But those two concepts are in, in, intricately wound together. It isn't something where we would say, okay, what I'm doing, I'm hoping I'm not confusing everybody with all of this philosophy, but what, we're, what I'm trying to break down is that there is this mortal world that we live in right now, 
And then someday in the sweet by and by, we're going to get on an airplane and we're going to leave this mortal realm and we're going to land in the airport of heaven and experience eternal life at that time. And all the while, the mortal existence that we have is bounded by all of this fear and life ending and things deteriorating and all of this, these concepts have been dominating our way of thinking while we were here. Instead of that, what we need to do is we need to be able to see that the eternal realm and the mortal realm are completely intertwined. There is a part of every cell of your body that is in the eternal realm, and there's parts of your cell body that are mortal. And what we have to do is we have to be able to set our minds free. As you're going to discover, we're going to do a bunch of work on scriptures tonight, so make sure you lick your finger because we're going to go for it in a minute. But what I want you to see is I want you to see that what Jesus was trying to get us, what this rich young ruler, what the lawyer, what this fella that dropped to his knees in front of Jesus wasn't asking Jesus, wasn't observing in Jesus that you must know how to get the doorway to heaven. What I'm observing in Jesus is that he was a completely different human being. That his whole countenance, his whole, the whole way of living life was radically different than he had ever seen before. And he referred to it as eternal life. That word eternal is the Adonai kind of a word there, adiupola, something like that. I'll write it down for you in a sec. But that word means has always existed. And zoe means life. Uh, it's like a biological life. And so we interpret those things as kind of like the lifestyle of God. The lifestyle of someone who has existed in an eternal way. And so we recognize they, he must have seen something. And Jesus, you know, kind of wake up, you know, how many times you go, to, you go down to the bank and say, hey, you know, how can I have eternal life like you have? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to maybe see it. That person's going to heaven when they die. But can you tell by looking at them on the outside? But this guy, and if it's three guys, it's even more so. There must have been something about Jesus that these guys all come to him and say, how can I have this God life like you have? This eternal life, this over effervescent, let's say it like that. This effervescent life that you have, how, how can I have that? And so let's just take a look because it's going to be a bit challenging, I think. Remember in the first part of the curve here is understanding the piece that goes that way. Is the concepts that we think we understand when somebody comes and shares the same concept from a different perspective, then it challenges us in our minds. And our minds want to go, okay, I got that. Or I haven't got a clue what this guy's talking about. It's kind of what I feel is going on in here right now. But you want to focus right now because in G if Jesus was in here or if you met Jesus walking on the road, this concept of eternal life was everywhere in what he taught, as you're going to discover. And it's probably, as you'll see, when we go to Jesus's words, you're going to see that, wait a minute, I'm not sure if my understanding of eternal life is lining up with the things that Jesus says. Jesus doesn't ever say eternal life means going to heaven when you die. He doesn't 
ever say that? So most of us think that eternal life equals go to heaven when you die. And so that's a Selah moment right there. Wait a minute. Remember, I told you my story. But this was back when we started the ministry. Now, 2001, how long ago was that? Anybody do math? That was 16 years. <laughs> Jessica said 16 years ago. <laughs> One of the things the Lord asked me to do, and we tried to read books on how to grow a church and how to do all these kind of things. The Lord wouldn't let us do it. We, we were giving him probably three or four of these books at the time. And every time you try to pick up the book and start reading it, you just had that on the inside, Holy Spirit, that's Holy Spirit for put that darn thing away. And, but what he did ask us to do, he said, I want you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when you get to John, don't go to Acts, go back to Matthew and read it again and go back and read it again. And he said, I don't want you to read the black words. I just want you to listen to Jesus's words over and over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not trying to tell you, well, probably I'm trying to tell you, but I'm not trying to tell you explicitly that Jesus's words are more important than the words that are in black. But I kind of take them like there's commentary and then there's Jesus and then there's people explaining to you what Jesus said. That's kind of the New Testament. And so what's really important in that process isn't the commentary. Jesus, you know, was on the boat one morning. I guess that's important. But what we really want to know is not that he was on a boat. He want to know what? What did he say, right? And you're going to find out that's going to go way up today on your level of importance when you listen to some of the things Jesus said about eternal life. So anyways... Did I tell you the story about, yes, I told you the story. So anyway, where did this start? Let me tell you where this sort of started. I did a funeral. Now my normal funeral, if you, if you happen to pass away and you ask me to do your funeral for you, this is probably what I'm going to say. So it's gonna be a little prep for you because you may not be listening too intently at the time. But normally what I wanna to talk to people about when I am doing a funeral because I believe in eternal life and I believe in heaven when you die. And so I'm very rarely talking to the person whose you know, suit is in the box. I'm talking to the people who's still in the mortal part of their lives. Because I know this person has long gone and has got absolutely no time to talk to me right now because they're really, really enjoying things in their perspective. Not that I'm being disrespectful to that person or their mortal remains. It's that I'm working with the people that are in the room. And I get their attention over to this story of Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus, the friend of Jesus? And if you can look at it there in John chapter 11, pretty much all of John chapter 11 talks about this fellow uh, uh, Lazarus. The problem that I have with the equation though, is that when Martha, let's, let's just read, can you read the scripture? Let's just go there, read the scripture, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw your attention to John chapter 11. I didn't put it in here, so let me go over here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 11. Um, okay, so we pick it. Do you know the story? Does everybody know the story? The story is this friend of Jesus died. Uh, Jesus was out of town at the time. 
And so Jesus came back into town to attend the funeral or whatever the proceeding was that was going on at that time. As Jesus is getting into town, he meets up with Lazarus's sister and begins to have an interaction with her sister. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to the interaction. And uh, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is verse 21, now 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's so I'm thinking to myself, that's, a, that's the right answer. Because I believe in the, re- I know this person, I'm at a funeral right now. I know this person who is now, their physical remains are sitting beside me in the coffin. And I'm going to be talking to them about, the, don't worry. Everything is going to be fine because they're going to be resurrected. One day in the great resurrection, they're going to be part of the resurrection. Isn't that what we t- say at funerals? The only problem was, that wasn't what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, now Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, may, by the way, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, the the conventional understanding of what this meant for someone to die in that day was that they're going to be resurrected one day. And Jesus says, I don't think you understand. I am the resurrection. People go, whoa, that's blowing my mind. I haven't a clue what he's talking about. Isn't it like, think about that for a second. What does it mean for Jesus to come on the scene and say, I am the resurrection. Because then what he does is he doesn't wait for Lazarus to come back in the great resurrection of one day, the far, sweet by and by. He says to Lazarus, today's the day, Joe. And Lazarus, who we thought got on a plane and went to the eternal realm was actually just waiting round the corner because when Jesus said, come forth, zippity-doo-dah, Lazarus jumps back into his body again and comes out to meet everybody. Because what Jesus was trying to tell us, what he was showing us, because that was awesome for Lazarus, but what's in it for you and me? Why is this story, uh, this is a remarkable story, but the only person apparently that got blessed from the story was Lazarus. But that can't be so, or else it wouldn't have needed to be in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's trying to show something to the rest of us. Trying to show us that the eternal realm, the place that we leave to, let's say it's just that much, The the place that we leave to is not some faraway place. That it is right here intertwined in all of our mortality. So much so, yes, that Lazarus still exists once he's left his mortal remains. But that that place that he exists is right here and right now. 
So let's just, let's just, I'm just going to lay some bricks for you for this foundation that we're starting to realize that this concept of eternal life isn't exactly what we were thinking it was all about. Then Jesus comes in. If you go to John chapter 6, this is when we're going to try and get some, some meat for today. In John chapter 6, you remember the scripture where Jesus is there, he's got a whole bunch of his disciples around him. And more than the 12 now, there's probably hundreds of people now that are following Jesus. They're the kind of Jesus groupies that are in the, in the day. And he's got all these people around him. And he says to these people, except that they're all Jewish people, by the way, probably keep kosher. And they, he says to them, whoever should eat my body and drink my blood, if you don't do that, then you can have no part of me. And so zippity doodah, all the kosher people head out. <laughs> Jesus turns to the, the remaining disciples, however many there were. And he said to them, are you going to leave me too? Jesus wasn't worried about that, by the way. He just needed to know if he needs to put his, uh, you know, his resume out for some freelance disciples. That's all he was looking for. He just needed to know. What was Peter's answer? His answer was, yeah, you know, Lord, I'm kosher too, so I'm just going to fast for the next two and a half years. No. Peter's answer is very telling. Peter's answer was, Lord... To whom would we go? Because you have, listen carefully, the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Again, I don't know that we would have said it like that. I don't know that we would have said that eternal life was somehow related to the words that Jesus said. But even when we were dealing with our, you know, our modern, you know, what would we call ourselves? Are we Protestant evangelical people? That would we say that eternal life is connected to the words that Jesus told us? I don't think we would do that. I think that we've got a little bit of a shallow understanding of what this concept is as we go forward. We're going to watch it now. Go to John chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles there, just go one over. So we're looking a lot in the book of John. In John chapter 12 now, Jesus begins this dissertation about I am the light of the world. And if you jump in there for, in verse 44, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but rather believes in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Now, listen carefully what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that whoever believes in me, speaking Jesus, doesn't really believe in me. They believe in the person who sent me. Do you know how I know who that was? That was God or Father, as you will see Jesus refer to him as. He who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, listen now, that whoever believes in me, you know this concept of believes in me? I believe in Jesus. How many of you have heard that term? So I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus. Okay, but you have to be careful now. What does it mean to believe in someone? Remember the, 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 rich, the rich young ruler, the, 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 the lawyer, the, the fellow that was in, in Mark chapter 10, he came up to Jesus and said, how am I to have eternal life? And he said, do you see that I exist? You got it, Jack. 
Because that's what we would say. Do we believe that Jesus existed? Do we believe that he was a person? Do we believe that, uh, that, that he actually was a historical figure? And I believe in Jesus, therefore I must be going to heaven when I die. I have to be careful about this because to believe in someone isn't necessarily the same as just believing that they exist. As you can probably tell, the rich young ruler would have not been challenged with the fact that Jesus existed. He was standing right in front of him. And if anyone hears, this is verse 47. I'm the light of the world. Whosoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe. So he's, do you hear what he's focusing on there? He's equating believes in me with believes the things that I have said or believes the words that I have given you. He's equating those two things because he's using them interchangeably in in the sentences. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. See all of these terminologies that we have, save the world? He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, which is the words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command, or your Bible might say a commandment. Now remember the commandment would have been words. What I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus is saying this, God has given me things that I have said, and then I have said them. And those things are called commands, or if your Bible says it, commandments. Now listen, and I know that his commandment, listen, is eternal life. His commandment, which is these words of that I have spoken to you, if you believe the words that I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking, that is eternal life. These words that I have spoken to you. In John chapter five, Jesus again speaking, most assuredly I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, because we would maybe say believes in me. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. In John chapter 17, go there with me because we're going to read the entire chapter. That's one of those rules that you never do when you're a preacher. But I want you to read, this is, most of the time we think the, the Lord's prayer, how am I doing? 16 minutes, going to make it for sure. The, the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. You remember that one? That really should be called the Lord's, that Jesus's prayer because that was Jesus teaching us how to pray. But there is in John chapter 17, a prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, John chapter 17 is now we are well into, you know, Jesus is now in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Within a few days, Jesus is going to be crucified. And Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your son that your son may, be glor- may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. Now that word flesh, kind of like an interesting word. It's the root word of the word flesh is that which is going to be swept away. And so really what Jesus is saying here, you've given me authority over the complete mortal realm, which as we know from our thermodynamics discussion earlier, is what is going to eventually be swept away. So he's saying here, he's given me, uh, you've given me authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given me. And this eternal life that they may know you the only, this, uh, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished my work, which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, now this is, this is Jesus praying. I should be like this, praying. That would give you a better reference to what Jesus is doing. Maybe I'll get on my knees and I will sit by a rock and I will pray. Because that'll give you an idea of, this is Jesus talking to God in prayer. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have had with you before the world was. Jesus continues, even though your Bible may have a a title there. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me. Now, this is referring to Jesus' disciples. They are yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. This is, they knew this. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have surely known that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now if you look there, you see, In verse two, uh, that these people you have given me, and this is eternal life, that you have given these people eternal life, and Jesus saying, because they heard the words and they believed the words. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, referring to the disciples. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, again, Jesus says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, which is what we would say eternal life is, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify means to set them apart. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, also I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. 
Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. Now you start to get some purpose here. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So now you see Jesus got the words from God, the words of eternal life from God. Then he gave those words of eternal life to his disciples. And now Jesus is praying for the people that the disciples are gonna take those words of eternal life to. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that you may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so you see that when Jesus is referring now to this concept of eternal life, he's saying that eternal life is contained inside the red words. Inside, and now this is gonna be, this is, I think it's blowing your mind right now. This is going to be intense to understand that the red words are not just Jesus's words. They are Jesus's words. What those red words are, Jesus's own definition of them, is words that he got from God. God told him to say those words and he said them, and then somebody wrote them down, somehow got them to be in red, and then gave them to you. The fellow that Jesus is praying for is you. The people that have access to these things that Jesus says are eternal life. And so, and then Matthew chapter seven, you know, when Jesus is talking about you know, build your house on the, on the rock. Jesus is the rock. That's not what Jesus says the rock is. Jesus said, if you build your house on the rock, or rather, if you build your house on these sayings of mine, then your house will be built on the rock. Now, I guess we can say Jesus and these sayings of mine are the same thing. It's easy to see how we've, inter we've interpreted it that way. But we, I don't think we should interpret it that way. Because what we want to do is we want to say that, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. I got my Jesus t-shirt and my Jesus bumper sticker. Therefore, my house is built upon the rock. But that's not true. Your house being built upon the rock is in Jesus' own admission my house is built upon these sayings of mine. And then the winds will come, he says. The storms will rage. But don't worry. Ain't nothing going to happen to that house. As opposed to, I think what we see most often in the world around us is people who build their house on Jesus. I'm a Christian. I go to a Jesus church. And the winds come. And the waves come. I'll let y'all finish that sentence to yourself. But it's simple. There's an understanding here that focuses us first on the words that are in red. What did Jesus actually say? I remember when I went through this, because I mean, I lived my life as a Catholic. I pretty much spent my whole life in church. And then with, you know, serving God the way that I have, trying my very best. And when I read through the red words, I was shocked at what they said and how many of them I didn't actually agree with. 
actually the one about better to give than it is to receive. I kind of like my birthday better like anybody's. And so I didn't know that I believed that. And there's a lot of them that Jesus said that I don't know that we would say, if, you know, if, I, if it's better for me to deal with the plank in my own eye before I try to haul out the speck in yours. And I'm thinking, nah, Jesus, I really like hauling specks out of other people. That's a heck of a lot more fun. You see, what happens is we have to go back before we go anywhere, can I tell you? And we're going to do that with this words of eternal life thing, is we have to see, what did Jesus say? What were the parables about? In, in Romans chapter 2, 7, Romans chapter 2, it says that we, when we judge others, I'll pick on that. Uh, okay, Dominic, go away. That when we judge others, uh, how do I speed this up? Lord, help me to do this. I'll, I'll probably have to teach on this as a, as a whole teaching, but several places in scripture, it tells us that when we are given the words and we reject those words, that we're in a lot of trouble. And so the obvious question is going to be, then why would I want to get the words in the first place? Because if I don't have the words, if I don't know the truth, then you can't judge me on whether I know the truth. Kind of in Romans chapter 2 talks about it here. He's when he's saying, when you judge other people, you're, what you're really doing is you're really condemning yourself. Because what you judge in the other person is actually what you are doing yourself. It's the reason that you can see that which is in the other person is because it's actually inside of you. Like if you came and, spit in, and spat in my face, if I was a person who was easily offended and, and felt that people were always trying to hurt them, then I would, I would perceive your spit in my face as being you're trying to hurt me. But if I'm just thinking that spitting in your face is the coolest thing in the whole wide world and I'll pull you back because we're playing a game, I will not perceive it the same way. How many of you know that? So the only way I perceive it from a negative perspective is that the negative is already in me. That's what Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying through, uh, Jesus is saying through Paul, that this is the problem when we judge other people. What we're actually doing is we're actually revealing ourselves. And he goes on to say that when we're doing that, we are putting ourselves in a lot of trouble at that point, leading us to say, why would we want to hear the words in the first place? And are we not better off? Listen to me carefully. Are we not better off to never have heard the words. Can I tell you what the, the answer to that question is? The answer to that question is yes. You are better off to never have heard the words. That's why if you flip over to Pastor Tina's scripture that she started with tonight, Mark chapter four, which is actually, as you all know, the page in your Bible that God wrote for me. Jesus says, people, his disciples himself were confused about Jesus. Because Jesus was always talking in parables. And so they came to Jesus after the conference where all he did was tell them a children's story. And they came to him afterwards and they said to Jesus, Jesus, why do you talk in parables? You're always so darn confusing. And what was Jesus' answer? Do you remember what Jesus' answer was? Jesus' answer was, I talk in parables because those who are out there 
I don't want them to know. Because unless they are going to be ready to receive the words, unless they're ready to take hold of them, unless they already have the prerequisites to understand the meanings of what Jesus is saying, he says they're better off not to hear it. This is Jesus speaking. Now that doesn't mean that it's not better to get them. It is a hundred times better to get them. A thousand, there's no end to how much better it is to get them, except if we're gonna get them and we're not going to have the prerequisites in line. And so I thought to myself, well, I wonder what the prerequisites are. And not surprisingly, Jesus gave us the prerequisites. But we've kind of mixed them up into our doctrinal statements so that we sort of get them just because we hangs out. And that's not the way it is. The first prerequisite is humility. Now, if I, I'll teach this again maybe when I get to these things. Humility isn't being a doormat. Humility is the willingness to say, the problem is me. When you have somebody that refuses to admit that they are the problem, now they, you may also be the problem, but that's not their problem. That's your problem. Every person's problem needs to be that they say, I am the problem. Now we live in a culture that has become professional at making everybody else the problem. So it's very difficult for people to step into this place where they recognize that they are the problem. It's like Matthew, like Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter seven there, the plank in your own eye compared to the speck in somebody else's eye. Everybody laughs every time I say that, even if I said it again in 10 minutes, you'd laugh again. Because everybody knows it's so much easier to deal with the, in the, the speck in somebody else's eye. Nobody wants to deal with the one in their own eye. The people that go after Jesus to say, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Those are the ones that are searching. They're already ready to lay down the understandings that they would have had. They're already sick and tired of trying to beat the world into submission. They already recognize in Jesus's life, this eternal life thing that is happening in Jesus's life when all he does is say zippity doo dah shazam over a box lunch and everybody eats. The guy that can walk on water and raise the dead and heal the sick, but he apparently doesn't have any machinery around him. They're recognizing that the problem is not something that Jesus is doing on the outside. He's not healing people with some mechanism on the outside, some scalpel and some pills. And these. He's not walking on water with one of them cool hoverboards. Somehow what is inside of Jesus is empowering him to do these phenomenal things. If anybody would have known that, it would have been the disciples. They're with him all the time. The second one is childlikeness. 
gosh, how many times, probably six or seven times, the words in red reference that the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Except you come as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This concept of childlike, can I tell you, I'm pretty sure that John chapter 3, when Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus, the ruler of the religious people, one of the rulers of the religious people, Jesus, when he referred to this, you must be born again concept, he wasn't doing it in a teaching. He didn't do that in a crusade. Now, he did also, he said it, so it's important. But the understanding of it is that you go back to the beginning and start again. Because Nicodemus understood it that way. What do, you, what do you expect me to do? Climb back into my mother? And He's saying that except you come as a child, except you're willing to take everything that you understand. And now everything you understand, remember, has come from the mortal realm. Except you're willing to lay that down. Not that, you know, not that gravity doesn't still work. It does. But except you're willing to come as a child, to go back to the beginning again and start over, learn things again. Then the children's stories that Jesus is talking about. They're not going to make sense. They weren't written for adults. And number three, prerequisite, is that I have a vision. Now, the vision is more like, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. And in order for me to be like him, I need to become his disciple. Not go to a church that's got a cross in it, although you should do that. But when you get there, you get there and say, I'm going to become a disciple. This is what disciples do when Jesus speaks and we don't understand what he says, we begin to search. We're like the, 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 the Mark chapter 4 people who, after Jesus has finished the crusade and everybody's tearing down the chairs, they go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what did you mean when you said that? I don't understand what you mean. You see, if we don't have that, we're going to continually. People who were in the crowd that day might have been in every crowd. They might have followed him around like groupies. Maybe they got a free lunch. Maybe they got healed one day. But that's not the objective. Jesus says the objective, Father, is that I can take your words and give those words to somebody that they would believe those words and step into their eternal life, which starts right now. Eternity is on the inside of you right now. The words of eternity give you access to the eternity that is already on the inside of you. What Jesus was telling us was that 
these words are going to unlock the real you. The child of God. Remember that scripture says, so that they would know the love of God. That you would know the true, the one and only true God. That I would know Jesus' his son. Know him. Not know about him or know his name. Know him. And that I would know that he loves me. Can I tell you something? The time we get for each of you to have a vision every time you see that I'm preaching the next little bit. Locate yourself that this thing called eternal life, I believe is what human beings crave after the most. That's why these people in scripture, the rich young ruler, these successful, powerful people who seem to have everything in Jesus' day, came up to Jesus. This one fellow in Mark bowed down before him and said, Jesus, show me how to have this thing. Inside those words, those children's stories are the keys to unlock eternity now. They unlock eternity now. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, I really need you. I need you to show me what eternal life now is really about. I need to know who I am. I need to know what you created me to be. I know I'm a child of God. That makes me a divine Help me to know and walk in my eternal life. In Jesus' name.